0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Went to Mo Kings Meadow, the podcast that talks exclusively about the Chelsea SC women's team. I'm your host Dean and on this week's show, in part one we reviewed Chelsea's Derby Day win over Arsenal and our 5-0 win over Bristol City. In part two we've got the latest news from Kings Meadow and in part three we've got a little special Q&A session. This is episode 13 of Went to Mo Kings Meadow entitled Bounce Back Ability. Now, before we get started, we need your help to spread the word about this podcast, so if you enjoy what you hear, tag us in a tweet, share us on Instagram, or how about leaving a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as that helps other supporters find the show. We'd really appreciate your support. Now, joining me this week, as ever, is my wonderful co-host, Jane. Jane, how are you this week?
1: I'm doing good this week. A lot better mood than I was last week. Yeah, so looking forward to it.
0: Talk about yeah. Two uh, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show senior editor of the Chelsea Social, Rob Prattley. Rob, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I, again, I think much better this week than last week. I was on a podcast uh, again, another podcast last Saturday, uh, last Sunday evening, and uh, there was myself and a Manchester United fan. And I think between us, we were absolutely seething. The amount of steam we let off. <laughs> but yeah, no, much better this week. Thank you.
0: Yeah, depression season. Um, Rob, as it's your first time on the show, we do a little tradition of allowing our new guests to talk about how they started supporting Chelsea and then in particular, not onto the women's team. So um, I'll pass the mic to you, so to speak, and just let you um, let loose.
2: Yeah, so again, I'll start with sort, of, sort of Chelsea first and foremost. My sort of Chelsea story um, begins mainly due to the influence of uh, one little Italian, Gianfranco Zola. Uh, I saw the match against Norwich live on TV with the back heel, and I just thought that's pretty epic. Um, I quite like any sort of player that can do that. And... From then on there, it sort of became, sort of I learned more and more about the club. And I'd say I really sort of got into properly supporting it right at the very beginning of the Mourinho era. That was when, again, sort of the all the new signs had sort of flowed through and you could see Chelsea were becoming a European sort of superpower. And it was so, so exciting to be a part of that. As for more of the women's side of it, actually, it's a bit of a strange situation. It's back in 2014 when, and I'm going to butcher the name here, uh, Eda Garaus-Dottir said about Chelsea ladies players not being able to talk to their male counterparts and to me that was really quite surprising at the time because you know I knew we were doing okay and we'd got to the FA Women's FA Cup final the year before so I was a bit surprised and I sort of saw um, Emma Hayes sort of just come in and I knew she was very well regarded in the game so I sort of began at the very beginning of the 2014 sort of season when we finished second to Liverpool and um, in terms of, and sort of it's just grown more and more from there. And again, I'm a big advocate of sort of trying to get people more involved. You ultimately have to recognize that they are two different products, the men's game and the women's game, and they need to be treated as that, but that doesn't need to be a detracting factor. That needs to be something you celebrate. And there are so many things I can say that I prefer about the women's game. Um, and again, I won't list all of them here, but certainly one of them at least is the fact there's no VAR yet. Um, my favorite game, I think probably is uh, the PSG. Second leg, because again, Mary Mielder uh, is one of my absolute. I always love a goal scoring fullback. It's just been one of my absolute sort of favourite things. And the sheer passion and emotion that you see as a result of that goal, it's something that means sort of a, you know, it meant a lot to the club and it meant a lot sort of to her. And it was just sort of, you know, such a wonderful um, moment. I I think it's probably, you know, the close second to that has to be when we went to Arsenal last year and completely. Dismantled. There was a lot of my lifetime. I've known Arsenal as being the dominant force in um, when well, One of my friends who sort of got me very into it. Um, one of the, so the first games we sort of saw together was uh, Arsenal beating us five nil. And uh, the amount of stick and flack that I took that day, it meant that it was all oh, so so much sweeter.
0: Yeah. So um, to, to talk through your sort of your favourite players. You mentioned Mielda. Any other sort of top players of yours?
2: Oh, I I do really like, I do really like both of all of our fullbacks now, actually, really, at the moment. I, you know, I really like Hannah Blundell, and it's great to see her coming back to fitness, because it's always, it always means more, whatever people say, when one of your own gets through and you start seeing them really excel. And I think that gives you a special bond with the fans. And I think, yeah, Jon Anderson and Maramiela are two of the best fullbacks in, the, they don't even really need to play as conventional fullbacks. They can get so far at the pitch and the attacking Quality that they have, they just play as extra wingers. And that makes it so much more dynamic and exciting to watch. And considering at times I've watched them, um, Chelsea men's sides that are so sterile, and, you know, being completely honest, they are, you know, the sort of side you will go 1 0 up and you will know that's the goal scoring over in the game. And we still might win the game. But it's, not it's always so nice to just see sort of the fact that Emma Hayes' sides, you always know that they will go for that extra goal and they will go for the kill. And there is the control of the game, but there's such a sort of brilliance and sort of art form to the fact that they will just go off and kill it off and, you know, we can go from being 1-0 up at sort of 35th minute and then by the time it's half-time, it's sort of 4-0 game over and sort of, you know, you're looking and thinking, hang on, there's records to be broken here.
0: Yeah, so like you said about these sort of antidotes to the men's game, I sort of followed the women's team more closely this year and definitely I prefer looking forward to the women's games more than the men's team at the moment. I prefer running the Twitter account for this podcast than my own. It's just a much nicer place to be at the moment. Um, tell us about the Chelsea Social then. It's one of my favourite Twitter accounts, the women's one especially. Um, mm. Give us a bit of background on that and where listeners can find you and what you sort of do on that
2: Sure. So the, the Chelsea Social originated last year as something called a SW6 Daily, which was sort of a bit of a group platform originally brought together to share review videos. Um, after matches. At time we've sort of grown and we've now got a sort of successful article presence on there uh, with sort of daily pieces and we recently posted our 500th piece and then more interestingly from my perspective last year we merged with another sort of prominent Chelsea site called All Things Chelsea and we split to become the CFC social and the CFCW social and this was in order to give Chelsea women a proper platform of their own that you know really allows us to highlight them because People forget there are two elite sporting clubs at Chelsea FC. There are two elite sporting sides. And that isn't recognised anywhere near enough. Arguably, you would say at the moment, the women's team have more of a chance of becoming, you know, the dominant force in Europe to the men's team. And I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. And it's just so good to be able to, you know, we've got to play a player profile series. We've got members of the squad that sort of follow us. We get great interactions on there. We sort of do the live tweets. And it's so good to just see you can see the community growing week by week and day by day. And it's so wonderful to sort of be a part of that.
0: Yes. So I want to talk about some of the sort of things we can find when you follow your Twitter account, especially today. It's Pancake Day today. Um,
1: I mean,
2: this is some, absolute, some absolute genius from our various members of the team. Um, again, again, I'd like to claim credit for some of the best ones here, but, you know, the ones that make you groan probably uh, come from, sort of my side of the uh, the equation, I have to be honest. But, yeah, we had our, our Pancake Day 11. So, uh, in goal, number one, Carly Telflower. The uh, back four of uh, Maren Milder, Milky Bright, Magda Lemon, Ericsson, obviously, captaining, and then uh, John Panderson. Uh, a midfield three of uh, Neam Chokrals, G-So Yummy, and uh, Naterin Cuthbert. And then uh, the front three of Dreams, really, Pan Kirby, uh, Jamker, and, of course, the number nine, Bethany uh, Egland. Big, big fan of uh, all of that, you know. It was absolutely when we came up with it sort of in the group chat this afternoon there was a um, sort of, you know a lot of names that didn't make the cut I have to be honest and there were some great ideas coming through and it's just great to put you know sort of have that real interaction and take, you know there's got to be a serious side to it as well because ultimately you know the football club is a serious business but it's good to you know have the ability to interact with fans and we do share a lot of sort of meme content especially if I know that a fan base has given us some um, stick not saying any particular but you know one with a certain box, who sort of has a prominent opinion on social media, I will go back and I will, you know, make sure that they hear it back twice as loud. Um, Because ultimately that's the best thing about sort of football is having, you know, the banter and the fun. And along with the articles, sort of the video content, we've got um, a great new comps editor who's just joined and uh, she did a really good uh, compilation the other day for Magdalene Erickson. We've got one coming out shortly for Erin Cuthbert, so look out for that. And yeah, just all sorts of multimedia content. If you're interested in being involved, then, you know, please just sort of hit me up on those sort of DMs or send a message to the CFCW
0: social and, yeah, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I thought the Pancake Day 11 was excellent. I hope we didn't crack up too much. Oh, um, that's enough of that. Let's let's move straight on before anyone switches off or smashes their phone. Um, match review time. Let's start then with the Impressive 3-0 win over Arsenal last week. Jane, run us through your important information from that game.
1: Chelsea lined up this one in a 4-4-2 formation with Berger in goal, a back four of Mielder, Bright, Ericsson and Anderson. Ingle as a holding midfielder, G and Leopold's ahead of her and Harder as a number 10 as a number ten with Kirby and Kurt in attack. Emma Hayes used three substitutions, bringing Erin Cofbert on for Leopold in the 62nd minute, Bethany England on for G in the 74th minute and Guru writing in for Sam Kerr in the 82nd minute. That left Carly Telford, Hannah Blundell, Jess Carter, Jesse Fleming, Neve Charles and Drew Spence as the unused subs. Stats-wise, Chelsea had 35% possession, eight shots, five on target, five corners, 15 fouls resulting in two yellow cards, compared to Arsenal's 65% possession, eight shots, three on target, zero corners, five fouls with one yellow card.
0: Okay, let me run through the action then, and then we can have a good old chinwag about the game. Uh, the first big chance of the game actually fell to Arsenal with Mediema twisted and turning before being denied by a, a very good burger save. Uh, Frank Kirby had Chelsea's best chance of the first half. She came in off the right hand side, played a one-two, and was denied by an excellent save by the Arsenal goalkeeper. Uh, then in the second half, it was all Chelsea and the pressure that they put on Arsenal was repaid. Uh, Many Elder Force and they were on the right hand side. Frank Kirby played a quick pass into Penilla Harder, whose low shot went straight into the bottom corner. Uh, Ten minutes later, it was 2-0. Milly Bright played a beautiful diagonal ball to John Anderson. She moved the ball inside to Frank Kirby and she got into the box and played in Panilla Harder again. He smashed it into the top of the net. And then in the last moments of the game, Frank Kirby put on the afterburners, left the Arsenal defence for dust after being played in by Bethany England and she made it 3-0 to Chelsea. Uh, Jane, the pressure was on after that Bright defeat, but that was the perfect response, wasn't it?
1: I think it was after Obviously, after losing to Brighton, the club was determined to come back bigger and better and just to make the fans happy. And to obviously, a big game against Arsenal as well. So, to come back to get a win against Arsenal it was brilliant.
0: Yeah, Rob, I was sort of confident before the game anyway. But when the team selection came out and it was sort of that 4-4-2 that we tried against Brighton, it didn't work. Um, I was a little bit concerned, but it really worked perfectly to for Arsenal, didn't it?
2: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, I think you have to sort of look at the fact that there are they are quality players, and I think they would have been hurting a lot after the Brighton game. I also think, you know, against Brighton, it was perhaps a little bit sterile at times. Um, sort of in the midfield, there wasn't enough sort of quick movement and sort of movement off the ball. We looked a lot better, I thought, in that game after we made the substitutes and sort of brought on the sort of pace and dynamism in the wide areas. But against Arsenal, they just never they never really felt like it got to gr- they got to grips with the way the midfield was moving, even though I thought G was quiet for a lot of the game. But I thought Luopol's, albeit lucky probably to stay on the pitch for the persistent fouling in the first half, I thought her and Ingle just sort of worked perfectly to sort of shut down the ability to slip it through to Miedermann. The fact Miedermann only had one big chance and AKB sort of came up trumps, which is what you expect from a top goalkeeper...
0: That was sort of you know a pivotal point in the game. Yeah, that save made a nice change from from the Brighton game, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Jane, is this our strongest eleven? Having sort of Ingle at the base of the midfield, and G as well, and then you've got the quality of Harder, Kerr, and Kirby up front. Sort of the perfect balance.
1: I think that was a very strong starting eleven. I think Liverpool's G and Ingle all do work well together in that midfield, and then you have got the quality with Harder. Kerr and Kirby all up front and they've all got potential to score when they get the opportunity
0: yeah I like their um I think it's Jingle Poles nickname isn't it the three of them together um Rob one of my favourite quotes from football ever is in a game of fetch a dog has 90% possession but it never has control Uh, that's something you can apply to this game can't you? because Arsenal had 65% possession but they never was in control of this game was they
2: I was stunned to find out it was, you know, that bigger sort of gap, to be honest. I thought it'd be around 59%, 58%. I mean, a lot, of their, a lot of their possession in the second half, certainly, was in their own defensive third, and it was them passing it about and just trying to not let us sort of break on them and spring the trap. In the first half, especially, when it was sort of becoming a war of attrition, every time they tried to play out from the back, I felt there was going to be a chance. And every time it looked like we could sort of, you know, cause them damage. At no point did it ever feel they put on a sustained spell of pressure except maybe the 10 minutes before half time they ever put on a sustained spell of pressure where I thought you know we're in trouble here whereas in plenty of other games and even arguably in the the Brighton game there were periods in that match where even the Brighton were sort of sitting back and defending it felt like you know there was just we're not going to break through but against Arsenal it just felt like there was always that inevitability in my opinion
0: I Suppose when Emma's asked about her footballing philosophy, it's always well, my football is winning football, that's all I care about, and you know, letting Arsenal have the ball actually play into our hands, and that's an example of her using that winning football philosophy, um, to good use, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Emma is right in that sort of in games like that, you will look at that afterwards, and all the fans will remember is that we won three now, we sort of you know. Stopped uh, sort of you know what could have been a bit of a slide of form after a couple of sort of lesser performances, um, and you know we ultimately put ourselves back to the top of the league, and that's sort of the only thing people remember at the end of the season. No one will talk about you know oh you only had 60 you know 30% possession in the game against Arsenal when you know if you're lifting the title in a couple of months time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, Jane, I'm obviously rotated heavily in the Brighton game ahead of this one. Obviously, one eye on it. Although we did lose to Brighton you could say she was justified in doing that after the performance.
1: I think obviously Emma's plan for the Brighton game was to rotate the squad and then have a strong a team against Arsenal because Arsenal obviously a, a better team than Brighton and she wanted to play her strongest squad against Arsenal. And I think obviously although we did lose against Brighton to come back with the win for Arsenal it's not it's not really made much of a difference like I'm happy I'm not happy she rotated the squad the way she did on Sunday because of the loss, but then I'm happy we managed to come back for the win.
0: Yeah, and Rob, this game was a perfect example of, of counter-pressure and how to use your possession effectively. And I suppose that bodes well as we go into the crunch end of the season when we're going to be playing in the Champions League, and then, you know the huge games against Manchester City that's going to come up as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a realist to know that in a lot of games we will dominate possession. And the fact that we didn't dominate possession for one match is not a problem with me. I would be more concerned if we weren't creating chances. But the fact is, even when we had the you know the less possession in the first half, Williams made a number of really good saves, and we missed some good chances. We could have you know put the game to the sword before sort of even that midimer sort of chance happened. And besides that midimer chance, I can't really besides the deflected free kick in the second half, I can't really think of you know any real spell of pressure where I thought we were really in danger. Whereas for Arsenal, it certainly felt to me that early on, sort of the opening 15 minutes, if we'd have had our act together, a bit like against Manchester United, it could have been game over.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. For me, Rob, that was a perfect performance for the team. Um, what or who caught your eye that we haven't talked about that you want to sort of discuss them from this game? I,
2: again, my bias is going to show here, but I thought uh, Mourad Mielder and John Anderson were both brilliant again. Um These are the, uh, it's difficult in the position of a fullback. I used to play fullback myself. And it's one of the difficult positions because you rarely ever get to go for corners. You rarely ever get to, you know, take free kicks. You rarely ever get to take, um, so you do occasionally get to take set pieces. But let's face it, no one gets excited when, you know, it's the corner taker walking in a corner and everyone wants to be the head, sort of person on the end, bulleting the header in. Um, I thought John and uh, and Marin had a really, really good game just shutting Arsenal down because we know they've got effective players out there. And again, I think Beth Mead to an extent, she, you know, the comments about that um, were made sort of about the England squad selection, I think were playing on her mind because she was trying far too hard, but Daniele van der Donk just couldn't get into the game at all. And I didn't think at any point, you know, sort of really, sort of either of the fullbacks gave them any space to be able to do anything in the wide area. And then that in turn meant that Miedemar had to drop further and further back. And she sort of got caught up between that triangle of Ingle, um, Magda Eriksen, Millie Bright, and when you're a sort of lone centre forward, trying to mark out by three players, it's really difficult to do anything. And at times, you know, from a pure neutral perspective, I did feel a bit sorry for me at times because she was dropping so, so far back to try and be involved in the play and was then losing it. And then people were, you know, there was also, you could hear her teammates getting annoyed at her. There's so little you can do when you're being marked by three players. So I thought the defence put in a terrific shift. Obviously, you know, and again, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but sort of Penilla Harder obviously demonstrated why she's world-class. I... People calling her overrated earlier this season. It was one of the most stupid things to do because clearly it took her a little bit of time to settle, but that's not a problem. But everything she does, and this is what really impresses me about her everything she does, the footballing brain is just so far ahead of so many other players on that pitch. And she just sort of, you know, people say 40 chess. She's thinking ahead of so many things. And you sort of, some of the goals that she gets, um, sort of the second one, for instance, that was not that was by no means an easy finish. And she made it look effortless. And that's what a true world-class player really can do.
0: Yeah, a lot of people eating humble pie. I hope it really tastes nice. Uh, Jane, sort of same question to you. Who or what caught your eye that we haven't talked about you want to discuss about the team?
1: Um, I think Fran had a really good game. And I was quite shocked to like, for her to actually get that third goal. When Emma was interviewed after, it turned out she got cramped from the halfway line, but she just carried on running. And for a player to be in pain running still um, was just amazing. Obviously, Emma said that she didn't expect, she wouldn't have expected Fran to go for the ball. She should have just left it, but for Fran to be that determined to be like, no, the cramp will just have to stick out for a bit. I need to get my goal. Was just brilliant.
0: Yeah, that goal was sensational, especially when you find out she did have cramp and she's still able to outpace defenders and finish yeah. as well. That's you know. The mark of the quality that she's got. Uh Jane, run us through the player of the match vote then after that one.
1: So the Chelsea Women's Supporters Group ran their vote after the game on Twitter. The four choices were Millie Bright, who received two percent of the vote. marami Elder received four percent of the vote. Frank Hervey received twenty-two percent of the vote, and a runaway villa winner was Panel Harder with seventy-two percent of the vote. Yeah,
0: Rob, any complaints on that vote?
2: No, <laughs> I, I think you can see there that there were two outstanding players in that game and that that is the reason ultimately why we are going to do better than Arsenal this year is because they've got one true world-class outstanding star in Miedermeyer and there's, you know, okay, they had injuries at the time but I don't think they've got anyone else on that level and the fact of the matter is we've got at least four or five players on that level nowadays.
0: Yeah, I think in the... Telegraph list, or I think it was the Telegraph. We've got 11 players in the top 100 in the world. Hmm. I think 12, actually. I don't think Fran was included in that list because she was off for so long last year. Just shows the the quality that we've got. Um, Let's move on then to Bristol City. Um, Sunday afternoon, Chelsea obviously taking part in the rearranged fixture. Jane, run us through the fight information of that one.
1: So Chelsea lined up this one in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Berger in goal, Miel de Bright, Eriksen and Anderson in defence, a midfield duo of Ingle and G with Kirby, Harder and Kerr supporting England in attack. Emma Hage four subs the shoots, bringing on Guru Wright and Aaron Cuthbert on for G and Kirby in the 69th minute, and Jesse Fleming and Drew Spence on for Ingle and Harder in the 82nd minute. That left Carly Telford, Hannah Blundell and Jess Carter as the unused subs. So that's why as Chelsea had 72% possession, 24 shots, nine on target, eight corners, eight fouls, no cautions, compared with Bristol City's 28% possession, two shots, none on target, two corners, one foul, no cautions.
0: Yeah, a real Valentine's Day massacre. Um, let's go through the action again, and then we can talk through the game. Um, another strong start from Chelsea. They opened the scoring in the 14th minute. Frank Kirby flicking Marami Elder's corner in at the front post. Uh, It was 2-0 in the 36th minute. Sophie Ingle completing a slide tackle slash assist uh, to Benilla Harder who finished well into the the goal. Kirby got her second and Chelsea's third in the 40th minute. Along Ericsson clearance bounced Kylie into Sam Kerr's path. She ran to the byline crossing for Bethany England. Her shot was well saved by Bagley and the Bristol City goal, but she got to the rebound quickest. Teed up Frank Kirby who finished excellently into the top corner. The second half provided little respite for Bristol City. Sam Kerr made it 4 0 in the 55th minute. She headed home from a Beth England cross from the left hand side. And England finally got in on the action on the hour mark. She was too strong for the Bristol City defence as she slid in to connect with Harder's cross into the far post. Um, as we mentioned, this really was a massacre. Jane, I did a review of this game for the Bristol City Vixen cast and I said I actually felt sorry for them lining up against this team. Now, how much do you think that defeat against Brighton affected Emma's thinking here with the team she picked?
1: Um, I think that defeat did affect who she picked. I didn't expect that team to be the starting eleven. I thought maybe um Jesse Fleming and Neve Charles, although I do think Neve Charles could be injured. She's not been on the bench for a few games now. Um, but I think after the defeat, she just wanted she's not taking any cautions no more. She's just gonna put out the strongest team she's got because she just can't we can't afford to lose any more games and drop points.
0: Yeah, Rob Jane's right there. She says we can't drop points, but there is you know, a huge golfing class between us and Bristol City. Was you surprised that she went with just one change with the injured Liverpools out and England in?
2: To be honest, like, no. After the Brighton game, I think it was a determination to show that that won't happen again. And in many ways, it was a sort of, right, you're my first choice 11. You showed it the other day. Um, or sort of nearly my first just 11 you showed it the other day against um, Arsenal now you've got to prove that you can do it against everyone else and I think it to an extent it was also a bit of a dress rehearsal sort of for the cup final because um, we have to you know acknowledge that I suspect on the County Cup day they will be a bit more fired up um, because ultimately it is you know a one-off game and everything can happen and I think it was a determination to sort of you know put some having already beaten them 9-0 to put the fear back into them to an extent because they will have seen that result last weekend Brighton and thought hang on you know, there's a chance we can do something here. And it's important to sort of, you know, crush that, sort of in the nicest possible way, you crush that, room.
0: Yeah, it was exactly. And Rob, I want to pick up the midfield duo actually of Ingle and G, because it's an area of the team that I've often felt lacks balance sometimes with Lewipolds and G. Mm. Um, but in this game, it, it worked really well with, you know, Ingle sort of covering the whole midfield and, and G's allowed to do whatever she wants to do, basically. Um, they really complement each other well, didn't they?
2: Yeah no, I mean I'm a big big Sophie Ingle fan I think one of our a, a defining factor for me of a lot of top teams throughout history is that world-class player just sitting in front of the back four or that very very good player just sitting with the back four mopping up just tidying up putting the tackles in and yeah I thought Ingle was brilliant again the, the tackle for uh, Panila Harder's goal was just superb because it just stopped they were going to break it just stopped them right in the tracks and you know, when you put in a challenge like that, you get that split second where everyone's a bit surprised that, you know, you've put in such a strong and firm tackle. And it's in that split second where the best players can react and use that time. Um, I, I thought Ingle sort of, you know, because she was sitting sort of deep and you always had the situation of sort of the 5-5 five, five in many ways with the formation. But Ingle, because the line was pushed so high up and Ingle was able to sort of sweep in sort of their defensive third you meant G could sort of get up into the box and then that also means that your wide players can sort of push a bit wider and really affect the area from there and you can just push your centre forward sort of really into the thick of the action and it means you can just keep the pressure on sort of relentlessly and that's the thing that really in the first half even before you know before we'd even scored I thought you know the performance five minutes in I was already ready to say right this is the best performance against Brighton because there was that intensity and that fire that wasn't there the week before
0: Yeah, I think we're going to look back on that Brighton game and say it was the best thing that happened to us that season. Um, Jane, you probably have to admit that Lucy Bronze is the best right-back in the WSL at the minute, but Jonna Anderson continues to go under the radar on that left-hand side. Um, Is she criminally underrated?
1: Um, I think Jonah Anderson is really underrated. Obviously, people say, even like Lucy Bronze, the best right-back in the world. Some people are going to disagree with me, but I really don't think she is, in my honest opinion. I've watched just even like, even when she plays for like England, and even though she plays for Man City, I've watched games and you just don't hear as much as you'd expect to hear from her. And personally, not just because Yona plays for Chelsea, but I do personally think Yona is better than Lucy Bronze.
0: Rob, as the fullback officiado, um, you know, chief.
1: Uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I.
2: I'm curious to actually know who you do think is better than um, Lucy Bronze of interest at right back.
1: Um, it's like Lucy Bronze is a good player, but there is just games I've watched, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I obviously do rate her. Like she plays for England, and she is a good player, Mm. but then I do, I would prefer like Yonah over Lucy.
2: I mean, uh, yeah, I I think uh, I think Yonah, as I said earlier, the the two forwards I think are brilliant. Um. At the club, and it's one of the, you know, again, one of the defining factors of great teams is that you have that really settled fullback pairing that are just very good at going forward. And I would say, you know, probably at, at times I think um Yana in the past has perhaps been guilty of sort of you know lapses of concentration, and sort of I think she's really ironed those out of her game in the last eighteen months. And I think the fact that they, you know, are just two very very solid players that you can always expect sort of you know a good seven out of ten from every single game. That solidity is so, so crucial in that role. I will certainly say that I think Yano could maybe work on her shooting a little bit because if um, the shooting bits had been on in the first half, she could have had a hat-trick, which would have been uh, quite something. But yeah, you know, ultimately, I think I think they're just two very, very good players. And yeah, I think Yana is very underrated in WSL. You, you see sort of these debates for sort of the best 11 in WSL and you often see, you know, Millie Bright and Magda sort of featuring, um, but you don't normally see the fullback sort of getting the recognition. I think. So.
0: Yeah, I think they're absolutely integral to to what we do actually, and you know sometimes it's good to be underrated rather than the other way around to be overrated. Um, another player I want to talk about is Bethany England. Um, Jane, recently we spoke about her having to force her way back into this team, um, but the front four played together today and they showed that they can work together, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I think obviously people are disappointed Beth's not had the game time she wants just because of obviously the players we've got and the squad rotation we've got to take. But that front four did work really well and she does work well with, like she works well with like Sam. She works well with everyone and it was good to see her get a goal as well.
0: Yeah, Rob, I like a free in midfield with Ingle at the base of it. That means one of them at front four loses a place that has been better England more often than not for the fluidity of Kirby, Harder and Kurt. What's your thoughts on the attacking setup? What's your sort of preferred way to go?
2: I think it's always difficult because they're all top, top players. And ultimately, again, you look at some of the other names that we've got sitting on the bench, people like Jessie Fleming, who sort of, you know, is a star for Canada, and is a very good player. And at the moment, she's finding minutes very hard to sort of come by. Neen Charles, who I think is an excellent prospect, but is finding minutes hard to come by before she was potentially injured um Gura Wrighton who I thought was you know a contender for our player of the season uh, last year and you know even she's finding minutes sort of marginalized or has sort of in the early part of the month early part of the season I think it's probably sort of a bit of horses for courses I think you can get away with not having um sort of uh, the three-person midfield in some of the games where we expect to dominate and you know we can go ahead and really really impose the dominance but against better teams, I think you need that three-person um, midfield. Now, to me, the real debate is that I think you don't drop Penilla Harlow because I think everything I she offers off the ball and on the ball and the quality. You don't drop Fran Kirby because she's in the form of her life and, you know, is arguably, probably not even arguably, is playing the best football of her career. So then you come up front to Sam Kerr, who is a very, very good striker, but you do have some games of her where you're just tearing your hair out because the finishing sort of, you know, isn't on the standard that's needed um, at times. And I think that's, you know, an honest thing to say. And Bethany England, who I think is a very sort of decent centre forward. But at times, I just feel there's that little something that's missing to sort of step her up to that next level. Um, I will say I thought she played very well at the weekend. And I think that's the sort of game where you see sort of the best of her because she worked really hard up front. And that's the sort of goal every striker loves, just to get one in where you scramble it in at the back post because it shows your positioning is sort of spot on. So I think there's probably an argument to say that, you know, I think the three the three man or three person midfield is probably a sort of the one you'd expect to see in bigger games. But in games where you know we expect to dominate and win it quite comfortably, I don't see any reason why we can't start with, you know, the real, real attacking lineup.
0: Yeah, it's obviously great to have you know England, Kirby, Kerr, Harder as a front four. Um, any team that's going to cop against that is obviously going to be thinking about defence rather than, than attack. Um, talking of defence, Rob, we highlighted Emily Salmon as the danger for Bristol City before this game, but the defence did a great job—not just stifling her, but they cut off all the supply to her as well, didn't they? I,
2: I felt I felt sorry for Salmon because she really put herself about up front. She was running the channels, she was working hard, and on that heavy sort of pitch that you know I know the Vixen cast. Um, I had comments on it. Um, it, it, It's really difficult as a center forward when you're in a team where, you know, you don't necessarily create a lot of chances. But, yeah, I thought we did what we needed to do. We sort of stopped her having that sort of clear-cut chance to sort of score. And to me, again, a clean sheet in a game like that is really satisfying because it shows the absolute dominance that you have, and that's what you need.
0: Yeah, I think she's going to be a terrific uh, forward. You know, sort of one of the ones you think we should buy just to stop someone else getting her but where she's going to play um, maybe we need two teams in the WSL uh, Jada, perfect response from the Brighton defeat last week, you two wins eight goals, none conceded, we go into international break absolutely flying don't we
1: Yeah I think we've done well to come back the way we have obviously international break, it is quite annoying that it is now I think we're just like getting back to where we was but obviously the girls I've got to go and do their international duty. So, one after that, we'll just come back better than we have been.
0: Yeah, actually, I think it comes a quite a nice time for us. You know, we bounce back, get a bit of rest and then go again. Uh, Rob, I'm going to leave the last word on this game to you. Sort of sum it up for us on your own sort of words or how you think the game you know, went, really. Com- comprehensive.
2: I think, you know, it was everything we wanted in a game that we... We expected to win. We went and did business. We won it comfortably. And now, you know, we're top of the WSL. Yeah. Uh,
0: Jane, run us through the player of the match vote from that one and then how the league table does look after this round of fixtures.
1: So the Chelsea Women's Supporters Group did their poll on Twitter. The poll options were Sophie Ingle, who received 5% of the vote. England received 14% of the vote. Anderson received 16% of the vote. And the clear winner was Frank Kirby with 65% of the vote. Looking at the table, Chelsea now sit five points clear with 38 points. Man City are second with 33 points. Man United are third with 32 points. City still do have a game in hand. Then you've got Arsenal, Everton, Reading, Brighton, Tottenham, Birmingham, Aston Villa, West Ham and Bristol City.
0: It's nice not to even include Arsenal's points tally anymore. They're so far behind. It's it's a bit pointless. That's all for part one. Uh, Join us after this short break for part two, where we've got the latest news from King's Meadow and around women's football.
2: Real fans, real opinions.
0: For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. FootballFancasts.com. Welcome back to Part Two, of Kings Meadow. Time now for a news roundup from Kings Meadow. Um, what's been happening this week, Jane?
1: So today, Chelsea have been drawn against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. Uh, the games we played. We've got the first leg at home so that we played on the 3rd or 4th of March and then the away leg will be on the 10th or 11th of March. Maren Mielder made her 100th appearance for Chelsea against Bristol City. Peniel Harder, Fran Kirby and Melanie Leopolds have been nominated for the PFA Fans Player of the Month award. Beth and Fran are up for the FSA Women's Player of the Season. January's PFA WSL Fans Player of the Month was Fran Kirby. Uh, congratulations to Anne Katchenberger for winning in Give Me Sport Women January Player of the Month award. And Jessie Fleming has been called up to the Canada She Believe squad.
0: Yeah, Rob, do you want to pick a news story and say a few words?
2: I mean, I'll comment again, I'll go for my full wax union. Um, yeah, Mayor Miola's 100th appearance. Again, it's one of the things is longevity, and I think that's one of the Sort of big things to stress in the uh, the women's game, but more so than in the men's game, is that longevity is is quite rare because there's so much sort of um, transcendency around contracts and there's not anywhere near as much sort of time for down time sort of players down. So to sort of you know have players that are re- again we had um, Sophie Ingle recently making sort of a hundred appearances uh, and other players sort of hitting landmarks as well in recent sort of weeks. That real core. Cool Sort of togetherness of the squad that's been built up, I think, is one of the reasons why they're such a good winning outfit.
0: Yeah, should have named this the fullback special. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Jane, with the Champions League draw, I don't know if you've seen the men's team actually face Atletico Madrid, and they can't play in Spain because we're not allowed to fly there. Has there been any announcement on the second leg if that's going to take place somewhere else?
1: And um, what I've heard, the way the groups were formed was to do with Covid restrictions so the clubs all the clubs that were in like group one they're all fine to travel and all the clubs in group two were all fine to travel so I'm guessing we're okay to play out against Efesco Madrid just because of the way I read the way they did the groupings but now you've said that the men obviously can't fly out I don't actually know what will happen
2: from what I understand they said that whatever basically ends up being wherever the men end up playing their games in the end. And I think it's been decided. Is it is it Bucharest? Yeah, there was a suggestion that the same thing will be done for the women. But, but what I, the way I thought I understood it was that the group one were the ones without restrictions and group two were the ones where there was restrictions because that's why Manchester City can't play Fiorentina in Italy. But the ludicrous, again, this is actually absolutely ludicrous scenario because you see some of the other games in um the Men's Champions League, where Atletico can't play in Spain, but for some reason, Real Sociedad can play one of their ties in Spain, which is just absolutely, utterly ludicrous, but, you know, good old UEFA in their management.
0: Yeah, it's all a bit confusing. Uh, this is a, a news story, but what I want to talk about in this part of the show is uh, Magda Eriksson and Penila Harder opening up their DMs on Sunday night um, to anyone sh- struggling to sort of come out, to speak about their experiences, to get support. Um, I thought it was truly amazing. Uh, Rob, I know the CFCW Social had a lot about it. Um, what was your thoughts on, on that move?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I would make no apologies for saying, I said I'll make no apologies. Um, Magda Eriksson, as a leader, as a role model, as an icon, represents everything good about Chelsea women. There's everything that, you know, the club should be striving to. She is an absolute, you know, that will have done so much sort of positivity and good for so many people that it will be, have been a very difficult day for them. And you know, some of our members of the of the team and stuff sort of the end and asked for advice and got advice, and you could just tell how much it meant to them um, just to get that. So yeah, again, wonderful ambassadors of the sport in Magdalene, and we're just so lucky to have such wonderful people representing um, Chelsea Women.
0: Yeah, and Jane, when we did the Chelsea... Pride special, we spoke about, you know, Magda being sort of the captain and the you know, sort of front and centre of so many campaigns. Um, what was your sort of thoughts on it? You know, it was lovely, the reaction on, on social media, some people that we follow sort of getting advice as well.
1: Yeah, I thought it was really nice of them. I think after the photo came out of the World Cup of Magda and Peniel kissing, I think they have been, like, the main focus of, like, the topic. And for them to be generous and open their DMs up for people that are struggling, because in this day and age, people are scared to come out because of the abuse and like backlash they get. So for them to offer free advice just to help people out, I think was really really nice.
0: Yeah, you know, from Magda's point of view, it's leadership on a scale that goes above and beyond. Know the duty of a captain of a football team. You know, it goes beyond football. It's you know a societal thing that she is. Know, using her status and her position to to further, you know, people that maybe don't have the support around them that they need, you know, to be there for them is, is fantastic. Yeah, you know, what we said in that Chelsea Pride special was if you don't support, you know, the L B G P T, so I've got that completely wrong, L B T Q plus community, then you can't support Chelsea because they're a huge advocate of that. The captain and the record signing. Are in a relationship together. So, you know, it's 2021, I shouldn't keep having to have these conversations, but sadly we do. And, you know, I'm so proud of Magda and, and Penilla for doing what they did, and uh, for being so open and supportive of, you know, those who may need some support. Um, let's obviously, it's hard to move on after speaking about a, a subject as deep as that, but we're going to have to. Um, we normally do a loan report here, um, but there is no loan report because Burnley and City's game in Aston Villa was postponed. Uh, the reason we're even mentioning this is that it was called off five minutes before kickoff. Uh, Rob, it's not a good look for professional women's football, is it?
2: I, I, I'm going to be honest; it's a farce, absolute, absolute farce. And you know, I, I was appalled to read some of the stories subsequently about about the money that was involved that you know that, that they refused to put into it. Um, the club owners have stated at some point that, you know, the budgets for the men's side and for the women's side. And it was just horrendous to see the disparity. Um, it was due to I believe it was due to be on FA player, and they sort of did a lot of promotion of it sort of being on. So, you know, that was obviously quite embarrassing from their perspective because you there was a great chance last week, especially with um sort of you know, limited to get, I don't think Villa Villa weren't involved in the FA Cup. There was a great chance to get fans of, you know, the men's team into it to watch a second City. Because ultimately, if you were a Villa fan and a Burby fan, the only thing you really care about at any level is seeing you beat the other one. And it's the same as a lot. I know an awful lot of um Chelsea fans, at Chelsea Mentors, that last week, the first time they ever tuned into a Chelsea game was that Chelsea-Arsenal match because they wanted the chance to see us beat Arsenal or against Spurs a couple of weeks ago. And the fact that, yeah, the, the money could be sorted out. And it was so... Dreadfully sort of shambolic, and you know, it was just sort of announced, even the players looked bemused, and it was absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous,
0: yeah. Again, I suppose you know, even the pitch that we played on against Bristol that was atrocious. Um, I suppose that and the, the Birmingham game highlights the strides that women's football still needs to take in order to, you know, not be on a level playing field, but I suppose be professional.
1: I think, yeah the pitch was awful on Sunday that's I feel like that's sort of a pitch you'd get like some Sunday league football in a field or something like that I think I think personally the men's team needs to help their women's team out a bit obviously the likes of like Chelsea and City you've got the support from the men's club mm. and I just think obviously to grow the women's game more you're just going to need the support and to play on it like the women's league is a professional league and to play a game of football on a pitch like that, I just think it's disappointing.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, Rob, when you're trying to grow the women's game, where the men's game is so established, you really can't afford to have anything, mistakes like that that make you look amateurish because it can turn people off straight away, can't it?
2: Yeah, uh, I was absolutely, uh, absolutely furious at sort of seeing that story because it's the sort of thing where you you look at that and the people that want to criticize you know women's football and sort of drag it down that's just giving them even more ammunition for it and giving them you know a free hit at it and it's so sort of you know there will be so many fans of both the two sides and more general you know, general fans who are going to be so disappointed who have not got to see the match because ultimately it's a big match of both sides involved but More importantly, it's meant to be sort of you know being treated as a spectacle and being treated as a sort of big match in the WSL. So to sort of have it treated that way, you wouldn't again the obvious thing says you would never see a men's second city derby called a five minutes beforehand because of issues with the pitch. Why should this be any different?
0: Yeah, exactly. So hopefully within I don't know when to say a time scale, but the more we highlight the ridiculousness of the situations the the quicker they're going to resolve the issues that that cause them in the first place and we can see you no know, strides made I suppose in the in the future um that's all the news this week from from Kings Meadow and beyond um before we go to a break we've got a few parish notices to get through if I can find them in my script there we go um so obviously the first up we've got our special next week Tuesday the 23rd of February uh, this is open to anyone and everyone, so if you want to be involved in the episode, then let us know via email or DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Rob, I know you and some of the Chelsea social team are going to join us, aren't you?
2: Yeah, um, I'm certainly hopeful that sort of, you know, we'll have quite a few of us there over to sort of talk about our Lord and Saviour, Emma Hayes. Um, but yeah, no, it should be great, great fun.
0: Yeah, praise the Almighty. Um, don't forget, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us by searching Went to Mo King's Meadow. Uh, we publish three or four episodes, videos a week based on this podcast. So if you do want to see our faces as well as our voices, YouTube is the place to go. Again, I can only apologise in advance for what you may see. Um, consider this an invitation to join our Discord channel. Discord is the perfect place for matchday discussions to be involved in the Chelsea FC women's community. Uh, so make sure you download the Discord app, search for Went to Mo Kings Meadow, and hit join. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. We'll also leave a link for that in the description. I'm going to work out how to make one that doesn't expire as well. Um, I've heard you can do I it.
1: actually found out a way. The one <laughs> the that. one on the recent the recent YouTube videos should work all the time if I've done it right.
0: Because I know it says expires <laughs> in one day but I've never actually bothered to look for one that doesn't.
1: I've not actually checked the links on the YouTube videos but hopefully I've now managed know,
0: to do it. Now we know what you're doing during the short break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a reminder if you follow both the men's and the women's Chelsea teams then check out the main Chelsea fan show They also do have a Patreon account, which you can find at www.patreon.com forward slash ChelseaFanCast. If you can and would like to help support both our shows financially, you can do so here. But there's no obligation. We love you either way. And of course, we want as many people talking about and listening to shows about the women's team. So make sure you check out and listen to London is Blue. It featured the women's team in special episodes. uh, The team at the 195 uh, and the only other podcast exclusively about Chelsea FC women that we know about. France Fight Club. Uh, don't forget to check out the Chelsea Social as well. Um, lots of articles and stuff um, that hopefully I can join in on that, Rob. Um, yeah, yeah, that.
2: That, that, yeah, definitely. We will have a conversation about this.
0: Yeah. Um, if there's someone you think should be added to that list, then please let us know. We can help spread the word. And don't forget to check out the Chelsea Even Supporters Group on Facebook and Twitter. The more supporters involved, the better for everyone. Uh, join us after this short break for the third and final part of Went to Kings Meadow.
2: fans real opinions I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast Up the Chelsea Chels
0: FootballFancast.com Welcome back to the third and final part of Went to Mo King's Meadow uh, now there's no game to preview so I thought it'd be nice to host a little Q&A uh, we asked for your question so Jane what do the people want to know?
1: So at Meg a a sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. And um, what's been your favourite goal so far? If you could pick one player to come back to Chelsea, playing or retired, who would you choose and why?
0: Uh, Rob, I'll let you take the first hit on that one. Uh,
2: so uh, the favourite goal uh, again. I'm assuming Meg means this season. Um, I think it's got to be uh, Neem Charles's volley against uh, Manchester City in the Conte Cup court. I, I made a absolutely a horrendous noise that, you know, I got to a point where I was nearly ready to go knock on the neighbor's door and apologize because I'm sure, you know, they must have been assuming someone was getting strangled live um, sort of at the time. In terms of the player to come back, again, again, it's quite ironic um, about the draw stay. Uh, it'd be Hedvig Lindau, because I think as good as AKB is, and I think she's brilliant, I think Lindahl was, you know, it would be fair to say she's the best keeper in the world. And I think, you know, if, the, if you're looking at positions where we can improve the squad at the moment, that's one of the few ones where you could say, actually, you know, there are better keepers than AKB. Um, and Hedridge Lindahl was just so, so good and commanding and just so, so and such an excellent player. And that's why it's going to be such a pain to get past her during the UCL.
0: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with the deep with the Charles goal. Um, you know, between that and Sophie's in that game, just something about that Neem Charles the last minute equaliser that made it, you know, a bit more special. Um, for me, I'd like to see of Luco back up front, playing behind, you know, in front of you know, Kerr, Kirby and and Harder and seeing what they can create for her. Uh, Jane, what was yours uh, favourite goal?
1: Um, I think favourite goal would have to agree with you both either Neves goal or Sophie's um just because they were brilliant and to the knee's goal was obviously to keep us going and get that win eventually um one player I'd like to come back to see I think Katie Chapman I think she was a brilliant player when she was playing she has tweeted sometimes saying like she wants to come back and like she'd love to like put her boots on again so who knows, she might come back from retirement, but it would be brilliant to see her playing again with the squad we've got now.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see some of those players from 2014, 2015, how they would mm-hmm. sort of fair now because I think the level was definitely raised and can they raise with that level be interesting sort of hypothetical question, I suppose. Um, who else has been touched touch
1: Um, At MUFC Sam, in recent years, we've seen teams such as Chelsea, City, United, Everton, etc. start investing more money into their women's team on a regular basis. As more big clubs, in terms of finances, start investing in women's teams, do you think it will become much harder for the likes of Reading, Birmingham and Bristol to compete with them? Or do you expect them to thrive under the challenge? My worry is eventually money will become an immensely crucial deciding factor in the WSL which could do more harm than good in the long term.
0: I think there's already a deciding factor in the haves and the have-nots already. Mm-hmm. Rob, what's your thoughts? Do you think? Though, uh,
2: yeah, uh, I mean, of... I will say that I think, you know, one thing also the good thing about last week's uh, result against Brighton and also the uh, Reading being Man match show proved that you can still get these upsets. And it's not a case where every single game is a cut-and-shut result um ultimately in at all levels of football it is increasingly becoming a money game um and you know that has to just be acknowledged and be honest what is more promising however is that we're no longer just seeing a sort of big two or a big three emerging there are you know certainly at the start of the season four five six players uh, six teams you're looking at sorry where you're thinking they could do something and if they can all start building on what they're doing and keep it and keep on building it then that can only be a good thing when you add to the fact that you've also recently seen teams like burnley announcing that they're going to start supporting the women's side more teams like leicester sort of doing it more and more as well that can ultimately hopefully create a more uh, a more competitive and balanced wsl and again, people sort of say that it's the, sort of you know doing more harm than good. I think it's difficult when you, you look at it from a neutral perspective and sort of from a purely sort of, you know, isolated perspective, because let's not pretend in the men's game that, you know, you don't see absolute drubbings and larrapings of teams that have lesser resources. It would be a fallacy to pretend not so. Um, they are just more common in the women's game, and that's due to the fact that there is a bigger gulf in resources. But I do think that... Certainly at the top level um, and the top of the league, that golf is becoming smaller and smaller. And you are starting to see a group of elite teams on one level, more level playing field.
0: Yeah, I think, it's like, especially the men's game, there's a uniqueness about the Premier League that any team can beat any team. Whereas when you go to you know, Spain, it's you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico, Madrid. And then the, the quality really drops off below them, you've got Sevilla and other teams, but at the bottom there, there's no hope at all. Jane, I suppose if the women's game can keep that sort of Englishness in it, then it doesn't matter if some teams have faster resources because on their day, teams can beat anyone.
1: I think I would like to see the clubs investing in the women's team a bit more. Obviously, Liverpool's women's team last year, I think Liverpool as a club could have done a lot better mm. for them with the, like, the ground they was playing at was appalling most weekends. And I just think with a big club like Liverpool and where they're at today, I think they just could have helped their women's team out a bit. But I do think like the teams that aren't getting the help they need, I think they will still be all right.
0: Yeah, I suppose financially... You We're know, dropping the ocean for some of these teams if they supported them. I mean, the is the most expensive player in the WSL and she costs £300,000. Some footballers get that a week in their wages. You know, so you could have a squad of players that could compete for, for European titles, but not a lot of money. And I think now's the time, and I think teams are realizing that, to really get involved and, and get invested because they're going to get the payback of that, I think, very soon. Who's next on the list, Jo?
1: At that Chelsea pod, who is the best Chelsea women's player of all time? Your favourite player of all time and how good a chance does this team have of winning the Champions League? Uh,
0: Frank Kirby. Uh, My favourite player, I mean, you would say Frank Kirby, my my favourite player is Aaron Cuff at the minute. Um, And how good of a chance do they have they have as good a chance as anyone, I think. The, the draw and the, the luck of it, I suppose, helps you get to the to final and in the final. This team's good enough to beat anyone in Europe, in my opinion. Uh, Rob, what's your thoughts? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, best Chelsea wins player of all time. I'm going to be a bit... Uh, I'm going to say so Young because I think she's... Um, You know, when she came into the WSL and you see the quality of that's gone between sort of, you know, from 2014 to... 2020 she is one of the few sort of players you can say that has genuinely i think kept at that same outstanding level all the way through and that longevity is amazing um favorite player of all time again it probably has to go for a combination of either katie chapman or claire rafferty uh claire rafferty because she is a a wonderful leader and a fantastic sort of player and ambassador for it and katie chapman just for the sheer ability to win like, I think that's a massively underrated sort of thing. And being brave enough to step across the divide because she possibly, you know, was starting to see the power balance shift. I will also say that, you know, there's a slightly biased note. They both also do follow the uh, at CFCW social. So, you know, that's a, uh, always a, a plus in my book. In terms of um, winning the UCL, I think let's be realistic that you're probably going to end up facing one of Leon or Wolfsburg in the final. Um, barring sort of, you know, some other shops, I think there are other better sides this year. I think FC Bayern Frown shouldn't be uh, ruled out. I don't think you can rule out Manchester City over two legs, but Atletico will be as scared as us, as we, you know, I've seen people say, "Say not Atletico." We have absolutely no reason to be scared of them. If you want to be the best, you have to beat everyone else, and that's part of, you know, showing why you are champions of Europe is the ability to beat teams that are good teams, and there's no point. You know, if we want to talk about going up against a Wolfsburg or a Leon, there's no point about us, you know, fearing Atletico Madrid. If we can't do that, there's no point even stepping onto the pitch against Leon because they are the dominant force and it's time, you know, hopefully it's finally time to knock them off the purge.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Jane, who's your favourite of all time?
1: Um, I think best Chelsea player of all time would be Fran. She's just phenomenal and she's got better and better over the years um favorite player of all time I think I'd have to say Katie Chapman just with her determination with the team and just like the way she played and I think we do have a good chance of winning the Champions League obviously we got to the semi-final a couple of seasons ago and obviously Emma is determined I think drawing to Madrid was the hardest out of the teams we could have drawn against but I've I'm confident in the team and I feel like we can go all the way
0: yeah, thanks to uh, Nick for that question. If you do follow Chelsea Benz, make sure you check out that Chelsea pod. You know, one of my favourite listens uh, in the week. Uh, who's next, Jane?
1: Um, at Penilla CFCW, what do you think the best front three is that we play? Panil, Harder and Franz Link Linkup players are amazing. If you could make a five-a-side team from our team, who would you pick?
0: Yeah, this is the question. Every week when we preview Rob, when they get to the front and they're like, oh no, I've got to leave this person out. Oh no, I can't leave that person out. <laughs> Always froze uh, our guests. Um, so I'll let you go first and who would you pick up front?
2: So our best front three, I think actually to me it's quite clear in um, my mind. Uh, I would say it's Penilla Harder, um, Beth England, and Frank Kirby. I think Sam Kerr is a brilliant player, but I think that at the moment she's lacking that clinical edge. And while we have seen that a bit more in certain games recently, she, there were still chances the other day against um, Bristol to sort of, you know, that, that headed chance in the first half that I thought she should have buried. Um, there are still chances. And I just feel more comfortable, I suppose, that Beth England, if you give her that big chance, she will take it. So I'm completely honest, that, that's my sort of front three. Um, yeah, I think Harder, harder and Kirby's um, link-up play together is just the sign of two world-class players that world-class players make it look good with one another because it becomes easy to them. So that's sort of what my thoughts are on the matter.
0: Yeah, I'd have to go with Kirby Kerr and Harder if we're playing the three. I think the fluidity they offer, they can switch positions more easily than I think England's, you know, a central striker and you play off her. She can, she does run the channel. She does that well. But when we're playing the three, that's the three I prefer. And I know Sam has missed chances, lots of them. But I'd rather she got the chances than didn't, so to speak. Uh, Jane, what's your front three and then we'll do our 5 aside side teams?
1: Um, I think I'd have to agree with you, Dean, it would be Peniel, Sam and Fran. Just like the way they play, obviously you want to include everyone. Obviously you don't want to be leaving Beth out, but that is, if I had to pick three, that is a three I'd pick.
0: Yeah, and what would your you five-a-side team, Jane, you go first on that one. Um,
1: I think it'd be Berger, Mielder, Sam, Fran, and Lupoles.
0: Should we make it so you can't pick your players? So Rob's team can't pick any of yours. And then I can't pick <laughs> any it, of Rob's.
2: Makes it even harder. So right,
0: can say yours I... again, Jane. I'm going to write them down. You yeah. got?
1: Right, so mine was Berger. Mielder. Mielda, Lupoles, Fran, and Sam. This is quite difficult for you two now.
0: Yeah. because Rob's going go next.
2: So, again, on the recommendation, uh, again, I haven't seen a play, but on the recommendation, I'll go for Masovic. I'll yeah. take Yona and Sophie Ingle, and then I'll leave Panilla Harder and uh, Guru Wright up front through the damage.
0: Okay, let's see what I've got left in the squad, then. <laughs> uh, so, I've got to take Telford in goal. Um because they have got no one else. Um, Ericsson is my defender. I'll take G because no one's taken G yet, have they? I'll we'll also take Aaron Cuthbert. And then I'll take England. And then we'll just bully your teams and win. I'll find our tournament. <laughs> that was a nice question. That is, um, uh, if you follow um, Penilla CSUw she does the fan cams uh, she, she's doing it for you now, Rob. I believe
2: she, she is indeed. She does, uh, one of our new signings on the sister social and we're very happy to have
0: her aboard Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, I did ask for the Erin one, so that's coming soon. I can't wait for that. Uh, Jane, who else has been? I think this next question is definitely for Rob.
1: Yeah, I would not have a clue. Um, at me, Erikson, how many goals has Panilla Harder scored versus Atletico Madrid in the Women's Champions League the past? In the past seasons, and how many times has she knocked them out with Wolfsburg?
2: So, I, I firstly, I want to say thank you to Mia because I, when I, you know, when I tagged her in a post saying I wanted some, I want, you know, a question, I thought I'd get a nice sort of question like, you know, which Chelsea player would make the best pancake? But instead, you know, she starts to test my knowledge. Vanilla <laughs> uh, Harder has uh, knocked Atletico Madrid out of the Champions League two years in a row, scoring seven goals in the process. The first time it was a ten-nil aggregate score. The second time it was a 15-2 aggregate school. So, there certainly there is a showing that if we can get an early goal against Atletico, then, you know, there is a chance the floodgates can open. However, I just have a horrible feeling that Hedridge Lindau will produce, you know, two of her best ever 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks for that, Mia. When I asked for questions on the show, I meant nice ones, like Rob said, who makes the best pancakes? Not a quiz... Okay. Who, who, who does make um, the best pancakes? I'd this go with is... Burger because she's got strong wrists. So she's got good flip action going on there.
2: Howard, <laughs> right.
1: Jane? Um, I think maybe Beth. I know she's a good cake maker. I've seen her make birthday cakes for players. So I think she'd be quite creative when it comes to pancakes. So, so
0: yeah, I'm going to
2: go on for Erin Cuthbert, because I think it would just be absolutely, you know, I think it would be absolute carnage, but I think it would be brilliant.
0: Just be on the ceiling, like just, <laughs> just no cutlery, straight in the mouth. Jane, who's got the last question? And this is a one right at the end, I think.
1: Yes, we've got one more question. Um At Had MM Twenty Forty Six, how important is the bright erikson centre-back par- partnership to Chelsea? And seeing the great form of Mielder and Anderson after the winter break is getting about. Back- Backup fullback back, still priority in the summer transfer window. Also, do you think once Telford probably leaves in the summer, we'll see more rotating of goalkeepers?
0: And let's split there's three questions, we'll take one each. I think I'll take Brighton Erickson because for me they are essential to the team. You know, we speak so much about you know, the Harder, Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby. But without that defense and that defensive partnership you know, it would be for nothing because we'd be conceding goals on the regular. Um, Bright is fantastic on the ball. Her ability to pass through the midfield up to the attack is fantastic. Erickson is just a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal player. Her tackle against, how was it, against West Ham? When she was through on goal and...
2: Yeah, yeah it, is, yeah, it is West Ham.
0: You know, that's Ericsson for me just in one little clip. Um Rob, I'll let you take the fullbacks, seeing as that's your domain now.
2: Exactly. exactly yeah, Not a fullback official. Um yeah, I think having a back at fullback, I think if Hannah Blundell gets back to full fitness, and also because we've got Georgia Fox who can uh, cover there as well and is very, very talented, uh I think it's less of a priority than it might have been. Um I think you know, in a pinch we could realistically also play. Neen Charles um, at fullback because of the nature of how sort of attacking we are and if we were really sort of the, I suspect if you put Erin Cuthbert there she could do a job just because she'd be you know absolutely you'd just hate being a winger and just having Erin Cuthbert relentlessly marking you so I think you know I think it's less of a priority than other positions
0: Yeah I think it was interesting that Emma said that she would look to use the academy rather than than science as maybe someone like Georgia Fox is going to get a few more minutes uh, in the future uh, Jane we've criticized Berger's distribution at times on this podcast we criticized Telford last week but if she does lead the summer do you think we'll see Berger and, and Misovic you know rotate the position or is there a challenge coming for that number 1 jersey
1: um it's, i think it's going to be tough obviously i've not seen how Zakira plays so one i think once we've seen her play and see how she plays then it will sort of give us an idea Berg is going to get the number one spot or Zakira will get the number one squad uh, spot or she'll just rotate them. Um, Obviously, we do have Emily Orman, who's in the youth team. Um, She featured on the subs bench a few times last season. So it'd be interesting to see if she'll get any game time and come more into the squad or or she'll focus on the youth squad more or maybe Emma may even sign a new goalkeeper once Telford leaves.
0: Yeah, Rob, what's your thoughts on, on the goalkeeping situation? Because you know, Berger has the ability to produce world-class saves and in the same breath has the ability to give you a heart attack. Um, mm. so what's your thoughts on, on what's going to happen next season?
2: I, th- I think it's fair to say, firstly, AKB has been uh, overall a very good signing. And, you know, we after losing Kendridge Lindau, it was always going to be difficult to replace the best goalkeeper in the world because ultimately there can only be one best goalkeeper in the world. But I think AKB has come in and done a terrific um, job and should be rightly credited for that. At the same time, I do like the clips I've seen of uh, Musovic, although they're limited. I do really like um, what I've seen. She's a sort of very athletic sort of the more modern goalkeeper. The distribution does look to be a strong point. Obviously, we've got to be fair on Carly Telford is probably of that previous generation of goalkeepers where beforehand in the women's game, the goalkeeper wasn't sort of, you know treated with the specialist Coaching and training that you nowadays would get, and she herself has sort of spoken about that. But ultimately, she is you know a very big part of WSL history and has done her part for Chelsea. Has worked well, has trained well, has you know you never hear anything bad said about her as sort of a pro, which tells you everything you sort of need to know. I I personally don't like seeing rotation of goalkeepers. I think you should have a clear number one. It should be clear who it is, and then you should have a number two who's pressing the number one and forcing them always to be on the same level. At the same time, you should always trust your number two. And this is why I'd like to see Ormond personally go out on loan, because I don't think it's good for a young goalkeeper to be playing youth team matches, especially in youth teams where, because Chelsea's youth team are quite dominant, it's very difficult for a young goalkeeper to get experience. Because a good save is a good save, whether you're in the Premier League or you're playing in park football. That's where being a goalkeeper is in a unique position. You can have a really good season as a goalkeeper and your team can be relegated last week you would say Sophie Bagley was Bristol city's best player and you know, they were lost five nil. It's a strange position in that regard. And it's something that, you know, we have to probably consider out in the longer term looking towards life, you know, post Kylie Telford and towards maybe seeing Musovic as the new number one.
0: Yeah, definitely going to be um, one of the things to watch as we go into um, the 2021, 2022 season. Um, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, As we mentioned, we'll be back next week for our Emma Hayes special podcast. Um, Jane, a pleasure to talk to you again about this wonderful football team. Looking forward to next week?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, episode next week by Emma Hayes.
0: Yeah, and Rob, thank you um, so much for giving up your time to join us. Um, Yeah, great to hear your opinions on the team. Um, You'll be back next week as well, won't you, for the um, Emma Hayes special?
2: Yeah, I'll be back and hopefully I'll be able to bring along some other members of the CSW social. So that'll be excellent.
0: Yeah, Looking forward to that. Um, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Mo Kings Meadow, me at Dean Mears, Jane at Jane Chapel X, and Rob at RJP Journalism. You can also find us on Instagram at Went to Mo Kings Meadow. Uh, don't forget, you can contact the show via email and get your points heard. That address is went to Mo Kings Meadow at gmail.com. Uh, that's all we've got this week, so thanks for tuning in. Until next time, Chelsea fans from Kings Meadow to Wembley, keep that blue flag. Bye.